screen, and we're going to kind of move through this passage a few times. Let me start by just reading it, and we'll sort of orientate ourselves to the passage. They, and that's referring to Jesus and his disciples, um, came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This morning's text is a pretty short account of what is within the gospels a fairly odd encounter between a blind man and Jesus. Jesus often encounters people who are blind, and they call out to him often. They are wanting to draw upon his healing power. Um, but this encounter is unique, and I wanted to draw our attention to it this morning because I think it maps on pretty well to where we are as a community, and it emphasizes truths that I think we need to hear in this moment as we begin to regather together as a church family. So I'm going to read it again, and this time, just kind of settle into it. I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read it again and just kind of settle into it, and if it helps to envision it in your mind's eye, maybe you can't imagine what it would look like 2,000 years ago, but you can imagine uh, with all the cultural accoutrements of it happening on Baker Street, if that's helpful to you. But let's pray and just enter into this text again, open for God to teach us something powerful. God, we do worship you this morning. We praise you. We thank you that you guide us and that you lead us and that you sustain us and that you heal us and you help us. Through this text this morning, God, whether we're hearing it for the first time or the hundredth time, may your spirit, in a way that only your spirit can, bring truths to light that we need to hear individually and as a church family. May your will be done in and through this text this morning. Amen. Okay, so let's read it again. Again, enter into it imaginatively, if that's helpful, or you can focus on the words on the screen, the Bible in front of you. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And Jesus said to him, don't even go into the village. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now, a few times this morning, beginning in a few moments, I'm going to invite your interaction. I'm going to invite your participation. Um, I'm going to ask you in a few moments, 
what is something that stands out to you about this text? Maybe even just reading it somewhat slowly twice, you notice something that you've never noticed before. Um, as we come to this text this morning, what stands out to you? And it would be helpful for me, and I'll just take some notes, um, if you just, uh, you don't even have to explain why it stands out to you. You can just say, oh, I never noticed this before, or I really like um, this part, or for whatever reason, that just kind of jumped out to me. What did you notice about this text? People on this side are going to have to wave or make a noise. Don't even go into the village. Don't even go into the village. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, eh? So this is happening at a time in Jesus' ministry where he's trying to kind of keep a bit of a low profile. And often he will heal people during this juncture and tell them, don't go home, don't go here, don't tell anybody about what happened. So there's the sense that, at least for the moment, this healing was just meant to be experienced and celebrated within a pretty small circle. So yeah, that, that's interesting. Maybe we'll pick up on that uh, a little bit later. Anything else you notice about the text or the story? Healing was a two-step process. Only healing in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that doesn't happen kind of instantaneously. And it's the only healing of a blind person in the Gospel that doesn't happen instantaneously. And, uh, you know, lots of scholars note that these are the kinds of little details that kind of show you that the Gospels are not these spun documents trying to present things in the best possible light. They're telling you how things happened. Because you could imagine people being like, oh, did Jesus' power like run out? Like this kind of looks bad on Jesus, doesn't it? Because like he's like, can't he just zap people and make them well? Why does he like only get the guy like halfway there? But they include it because that's what happened. And it's interesting because this is some kind of a recognition that maybe not in a lot of cases in the gospel, but maybe in some that weren't written down, healing occurred over a process. It was a two-step. Yeah, that is the, I mean, there, um, some translations that will want to avoid the awkwardness of the verb and the verb tense will infer when he had placed spit on the man's eye. That's not really as direct and forthright as you can get here. The passage is actually when Jesus spits on the man's eye, he puts so if you, if you kind of envision that, that's really like, it's so uncouth, it's so awkward, it's so <laughs> unhygienic, especially now with COVID pandemic protocols. You just are like shrinking, you're like, oh my goodness, there, there has to be a better way than this Jesus, right? But I think that's the, you know, something that I definitely want to uh, pick up on in a few minutes. That's really, really a jarring part of this text that if we're not careful, right? Because sometimes we sub in that other story where Jesus spits on the ground, right? Makes mud and places the mud on the man's eye. And so we can be like, oh yeah, that's a little bit more palatable. Still kind of weird, but palatable. This one is just, it's gross. I mean, it really is, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it causes us to cringe. Anything else about the passage that stands out to you? Kelly? Do you see anything? Yeah, or what do you see? is the question in some translations um, that they'll do it. Like, what do you see? Right? Good question for um, us to be coming back to in our own discipleship walks, just allowing Jesus to say, what do you see? What do you see? And allowing him to 
open our eyes to new realities. Anything else? Gord? Yeah, awesome. That is something that I think is uh, kind of like the spitting on the eyes. That's an element here that is really, really, really easy to miss. It's people who bring the blind man to Jesus. And they're fighting on behalf of the blind man to get Jesus to touch him. So for whatever reason, it's not instigated by the blind man. He maybe couldn't do it. Um, but he has a group of people around him that are fighting for him on his behalf. And much like the group that brings the paralytic and smashes through the home and puts, those uh, puts that paralyzed man before Jesus, this blind man has a community around him that is fighting for him. Okay, I'm just creating some placeholder notes. I love this encounter for a number of reasons, but I see so many lessons here in how Jesus rehabilitates us. And I'm intentionally using the word rehabilitation and not healing because almost always in the Gospels is healing more or less associated with an instant event. Someone's not well, Jesus touches them, Jesus says a word, and they're well. That's amazing. But that's not what we see here. In this passage, we see Jesus restoring through a process instead of an event. And that's why I think the language of rehabilitation helps us to notice things about this text that you might miss if you just read it quickly as another one of Jesus' regular healing miracles. How many people here have ever done any kind of rehab in their life? Okay, fair amount. So this is going to land with a lot of us. Rehabilitation is the process of restoring a former capacity or a former status. So to rehabilitate something is to transition it from a state of dysfunction or impairment into full functioning and wellness, from pain to power, from chaos to shalom. And while we often think of rehabilitation at the physical level, celebrities and politicians will hire marketing firms to rehabilitate their image after a damaging event or exposure. Someone suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder undergoes psychological rehabilitation in order to heal their mind from emotional psychological trauma. So when you have gone into a process of rehabilitation, and you can think about that in the context of your own life, you've been moving into a process that helps you to restore the original condition of something. I've had some rehab done on my shoulder, I've had some rehab done on uh, my hand, and the goal of all of those was to get back to a place of full functioning and wellness. And it's successful if the rehabilitation program can bring you to a place where you can re-engage your life normally. Because when you're injured or impaired, what you slowly have to start doing is bending everything that you're doing and how you're doing it around the impairment or the injury, right? If you're walking with a limp, if you um, have a massive shoulder impairment, if you are having issues with a knee or an elbow, then 
without rehabilitation, your life begins sort of centered around the impairment. And often in order to rehabilitate something, you've got to learn new skills. You know, I think we all have experienced those really annoying rehab skills that they tell you to do and you're like, I'm going to do them, but then you kind of not do them, but then you realize you need to do them and they're just kind of like these repetitive, sort of annoying things that seem really small, but they're so critical to do. And the process of rehabilitation sometimes is, well, often, it's pretty gradual and that can be discouraging. And it requires a real commitment from the injured person, especially for us who live in a quick fix society. We just want to get diagnosed, give us a pill, give us one thing to do, we'll do it for a week, we'll pound it out in a weekend and then we'll be done. But rehab is a lot longer. Now I want to read through the text again. And this time, as we move through it, just have that theme, um, like a filter over the text. Instead of Jesus is healing, Jesus is rehabilitating this man. And just see if there's anything else that you notice about the text. It might not be anything different. This simply might be a third run. This stands out to you. Maybe that theme of rehabilitation does bring out something different. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Anything else jump out at you about the text? Denis? Before he was healed, Jesus took him by the hand and led him. And where does he lead him? Away from the village. Away from the village. Right, really interesting. One of my points that uh, I picked up on too, Denis, is that before the whole thing happened, Jesus has to pull this man out of the familiar, out of his regular context, and bring him to, the text doesn't say a wilderness place, but outside of the village, right? Outside of, I don't think it's right to say comfort zone, but the familiar. And if you've ever had to do rehab, you're like, amen. Like, you've got to start adopting things that are awkward and strange and you don't just get to roll into your normal everyday life. Jesus leads us out of the familiar to facilitate healing. And it's not just about the familiar, but it's also about the public. Jesus intentionally doesn't heal this guy with a bunch of people around and then after he does, he says, I don't even want you to go back and spread the news of this. Jesus is wanting to keep a low profile and I think that's important for us to hear because, you know, I'm very thankful and I recognize that whenever Jesus has to rehabilitate and heal through a process, something in my life, often it's secret. He doesn't do it out in front of people. He metaphorically leads me by the hand into a trusted space. And he doesn't keep it secret in the sense that it's something that the healing is shameful or there's anything to be embarrassed about, but there's a gentleness, there's an intimacy, right? Jesus wants this man to understand 
this healing is for him. It's not like he's just a conduit through which I can become more famous by healing. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. What else do you notice about the text? Or does it change how you see anything in the dynamic happening when you think through rehabilitation? Grace? Mm. Yeah, the focus is on people after Jesus touches his eyes. The first thing that he notices. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, certainly richness there in terms of that's one of the major things that God wants us to see, right, is to see people, see people through his eyes, see through p- people through his perspective. And when Jesus has a rehabilitatory movement in our lives, that's often one of the clearest manifestations that God is doing a work, that we begin to see other people more clearly. We begin to see ourselves more clearly. We move from this low resolution picture to something high definition, and we see as God sees. That's a really, really important reflection. I love that, um, I'll go back to what you said, uh, Gord, that the blind man has a community fighting for him. We can't do the work of rehabilitation on our own. We need people around us, whether it's family, even one friend to take us to appointments or to allow us to share what we've been processing and therapy. We need a community. And we see the community facilitating this man's healing and bringing him to Jesus. Anything else? Al? Al? Yeah, yeah, he sees, sorry, unpack that a little bit. Well, he knew what a tree looked like. Yep. So uh, obviously he's been able to see before. Right, so this is vision that is likely not blind from birth. He had some kind of illness or disease where there was degeneration, whether it happened fairly recently, but he can identify what a tree is as they look like tree. He could identify what people looked like. So this is a story of loss of someone who had functioning and then lost it, and now Jesus is restoring. And I think that is something beautiful to think about too, because that's often the roots of rehabilitation in our own life. When you think about how Jesus heals us on different levels, it's that we've lost something. We've been impaired and kept from something that we used to have access to. Love, joy, peace, warmth in our marriage, care, and a sense of mission in our lives, and over time that's been dulled or blinded or suppressed, and we need Jesus to bring us back, right? There's this huge theme of restoration here. And I love that in this passage, Jesus doesn't, it's an amazing miracle, but Jesus restores his vision. And I mean that I want you to hear that, like, that's all he does. Like, he doesn't give him supervision. He doesn't give him some kind of, like, ultimate enhancement. He just brings him back to a state that he knew that was good, right? Genesis 1, God created everything, and it was good, and then there's a fall, and God wants to redeem and restore. And sometimes I I thought about that because I thought sometimes when I want God's power to be at work in my life or I want God to make a change in my life, I'm waiting for something extraordinary 
or some kind of major life enhancement. And I miss the moments where God is just restoring things from a place of chaos to like, in the best sense of the word, like normalcy, just good. And to celebrate that, it doesn't have to go from terrible to the most greatest thing ever. When I've had times in a relationship, let's say my marriage, where there's been tension ongoing for a long time, we're trying to work through stuff, and then God does a breakthrough, and there's different things that happen, and it's often very subtle, and then we get to a place where we can just enjoy a caring conversation with each other. Like, that's good. That's rehabilitation. That's something to be celebrated. Now, you might be thinking, what does this story have to do with where our church is at in terms of a community? That's what I talked about. I said, this is really important to understand for where we are as a community. And I think this is the connection that I see. I see, and, I, and I, in some ways I feel it, that this pandemic season, more than a year now, I know it's taken a toll on us. And, and part of what I wanna say is I see that, I feel that, and I think that's okay to admit. It's taken a toll on us individually, it's taken a toll within our marriages and our families and our relationships and our workspaces or lack of workspaces and working from home spaces and not gathering and being out of rhythm. Pastorally, I am not assuming that as we regather, pretty much everyone's doing okay. That's not my assumption. Christianity Today, I put this in the Summit newsletter, Christianity Today uh, cited a survey across, not America, it wasn't North America, but America. American pastors saying 30% of American pastors, one in three, seriously considered transitioning out of ministry in the last year. Highest they've ever had by a long shot. And that's pretty scary because pastors often, through their denomination, through their network of support, are equipped with a lot of support mechanisms and care mechanisms. And so I see that as a canary in the coal mine of people are seriously struggling as they emerge from this pandemic. And I've had enough of you share with me over the last number of months to know that our church isn't sprinting into this space with vim and vigor. We're not ready to rock it and we're firing on all cylinders. We have become aware of over the pandemic. Some of us have developed over the pandemic impairments and dysfunctions of heart, soul, mind, and strength that, are, that have taken root in our lives. And we can't even trace where it happened or how it accelerated, but we find ourselves in different areas walking with a limp, walking with a limp emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We're noticing that we have impairments, and I'm having people share with me their impairments that over the last year have made it very hard to faithfully and fruitfully walk with God or to build quality friendships or to live from a place of peace and joy or to live with courage and humility and wisdom. And so there's this realization that I have and I want us to have that to emerge from where we're emerging from is to recognize that we all come into this space with a bit of a limp. And I say that because 
if hypothetically we were literally next week to all come into this space with some kind of mobility aid, if we all had a cast on, if we all had a, a walker, if we were all coming in that in a way that manifested, obviously, we had an impairment, might not be super severe, but severe enough that we need extra support, we, there would be a sense of like, oh wow, like we really need to be careful with each other, we really need to be patient with each other, we wanna follow up with each other and say, how are you doing? And how has this time been for you? But when you don't show up with any obvious manifestation of impairment, um, it's easy for us to look around and to say, yeah, I, I think we're doing pretty good. And you talk to people after church and yeah, yeah we're doing pretty good, not, not great, but doing okay. But I really think for the next several months, I'd like us to reflect on the fact that there's probably people coming into this space. It's a fair bet that the majority of people coming into this space are people who have gone through a lot, gone through stuff maybe in the last year that they didn't anticipate ever having to go through, or a layering of things that they didn't have to think, that they never imagined they'd have to go through in one year. And I want that to inform how we care for each other, how we pray for our church, how we engage with one another, how we're maybe a little bit pro more proactive to say, hey, do you wanna go grab a coffee? Do you wanna grab a lunch? Just tell me how this time has been for you. How are you doing? Maybe you will say, actually, I'm doing fine. That's okay, that's awesome. But I think many of us are in a situation where as a community, we wanna bring ourselves to Jesus and we wanna say, Jesus, on behalf of everybody in our church who is struggling with a dysfunction or an impairment, will you lead us by the hand and we, will you rehabilitate us? One of the things that I notice when it comes to non-physical rehabilitation, so not in a situation where there's an obvious pain issue with a part of our body, is that some people, for all kinds of reasons, can default to like, oh, I don't, I don't need therapy. Like if it was a physical issue, yeah, for sure, I need to do some exercises and rehabilitate, but this is something I'll just kind of get over. You know, and part of the lesson that I've learned over this pandemic is I, I just think that's a really foolish way of understanding who we are as human beings, right? Where, yeah, physical injuries and physical impairments, they require physiotherapy, obviously, but emotional or spiritual or mental impairments sort of don't, or at least we're way more resistant to actually moving into therapeutic practices and postures that would help us heal. And yet when I read this passage, one of the things that came to me that I underlined is discipleship is rehabilitation. Like that's what we're doing as disciples. As we follow Jesus, we're often following Jesus out of the familiar into a place where he says, I'm gonna teach you how to walk in newness of life and I'm going to strengthen, I'm gonna fix impairments. I'm going to address dysfunctions, not all at once, but God is leading us down a path where we are being rehabilitated. That's been my experience over the last year and a half. A lot of people have asked me in different ways like, oh, how have you grown over this pandemic? And grown to me, I, I, I have, but I actually prefer 
to use the word rehabilitation when I look at my pandemic experience. Because growth, maybe not for you, but for me, implies a little bit of moving from strength to strength. When you're growing, you're kind of taking this step up and this step up, but rehabilitation sort of frames things as, I'm kind of going through life with a limp and now I'm sort of getting restored. And that's what I feel like God has done in my life over this pandemic in a lot of ways. I'll share a little bit more about that next week, but. Discipleship is a process of learning to follow Jesus as he graciously and gradually rehabilitates us into functional, strong, mature wellness across all dimensions. And, you know, ironically, the New Testament even tells us to anticipate this, that even as we age and we move into stages of life where physiologically things will continue, in a sense, to get worse and worse and weakened and weakened, the rehabilitation that God is doing within us, within our hearts and minds, is actually going to intensify and increase. So in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, that's one of the reasons why we don't lose heart. Because outwardly, though we're wasting away, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. God is doing a rehabilitatory work in our lives. And so today I hope this text, and maybe you want to go home and read it a few more times, dwell on it, process it. I hope it speaks to at least three people here. Number one, maybe those who are discouraged by the necessary rehab that you have to do. And I'm not simply referring to maybe you're in a stage where you have to right now actually do physical rehab, but I have often found over this last pandemic saying things to myself like, I feel kind of discouraged that after following Jesus for X number of years, I still am so impaired in this area. I still feel strange that after 21 years of marriage, I still don't know how to love my wife well in these ways. I still find it frustrating to know how to be a faithful witness as a Christian. But I like this. I like this text because it reminds me, Jesus often rehabilitates us in process. That's why it's important every day to take another step in following Jesus. It can be humbling to realize that there's more impairments in our lives operating than we previously thought, but I want to say if you're discouraged by the rehab, I think of someone on the freedom session last week who said, oh, I I had dealt with something in my past and I was kind of discouraged that I had to kind of revisit it. But I think that's often what God has to do. He moves us into the same thing again and again, gently, graciously, to rehabilitate us, to get, okay, yeah, shoulder strengthening a little bit. Yeah, my perspective is beginning to change. And there's grace for you. Don't feel bad that you haven't dialed into something where you were literally, I once was blind, I once had these impairments, and now I see, now I have no problems. That's not going to be the normative experience as a follower of Jesus. And number two, I want to challenge those who are resistant to enter into the necessary therapy. Who are saying, I don't need therapy, I'm fine, I don't need, and I'm talking therapy in a holistic sense. I'm not simply talking about, let's say, psychological counseling, um, although, you know, I've taken advantage of that this year. But it's just that posture of thinking like, well, like I can manage, this is fine, this is fine. I mean, the blind man 
could have managed way better if Jesus had left him with like, I can see people and they look like trees. Like that's, an imp- like that's Jesus could have been like, oh, good enough. The man could have said like, oh, actually this is like super great. I've got from like zero to like 50% vision. I'll take it. But Jesus says, no, I don't want to leave you with like good enough. You don't need to walk with a limp. I want to provide clarity. I want to restore. And I think we pay a heavy price when we ignore injuries and places of wounding in our lives. We let scar tissue build up. I think that was why last weekend when we heard the testimonies of Freedom Session, it was so powerful to see people saying, I've taken Freedom Session for the third time or I'm revisiting something that is impairing my ability to move forward in faith and power and love and joy now. And I want to work on it. I want to face it. I need Jesus through his word and his spirit to rehabilitate me. So don't be scared to enter into that process. And if you need help knowing where to start, contact Rick, myself, another trusted Christian mentor, leader, maybe a close friend. And I also want to encourage those of you who are moving into and through rehab in different ways. Thank God for the gifts of physiotherapy and psychotherapy and relational therapy and the wisdom that God embeds in different professionals who can teach us how to walk again, how to walk well with God, how to walk well within messy, awful family systems, to walk well in the context of strained and difficult marriages or friendships. There's a lot of people, I think, in this church in what I would call that messy middle. They're in the middle of this messy process that Jesus has initiated, and it's not smooth, and it's not clean, and, you know, there's spit in the eyes, and there's, like, I half-formed, I kind of see stuff, but I don't see stuff, and that's okay. And this passage gives me a lot of comfort that it's okay to be in a messy spot, and God's grace is there for you in that messy spot. And God is moving you in that messy spot. So if you're tired and if you're weary, don't lose hope, keep going. As we gather as a church, our church is gathering with a limp, right? We're out of practice of gathering. There's certain muscles that have atrophied and in different ways we need rehabilitation and being committed to God means being committed to a process where we allow God to rehabilitate the dimensions of who we are back to the way God wants. And so over these coming months, I would really encourage you to just dial up the awareness of bringing extra patience into your conversations with one another and extra grace into your patience with one another and extra care and kindness and really be understanding, right? Like really... um, as graciously as the boundaries of the particular relationship permit, really seek to understand the burdens and the impairments that other people are carrying and look for ways to support one another proactively. And if all that means is I'm going to seriously start praying for people in our church, not just a small group of people that I know, I'm going to go through the directory and start praying for people in earnest that Jesus would lead them by the hand to a place of healing, awesome, awesome. So as we continue to regather, let's allow Jesus to rehabilitate our fellowship 
such that we learn new relational skills, new adaptations, new strength as we follow Jesus together. Being gracious with ourselves and with each other in the same way that we would if we all walked in here with a a limp or a cast or a walker or a wheelchair next Sunday. Let's learn to be a conduit, even maybe a messy, uncouth conduit of God's gradual but restorative therapy. Let's pray. God, for the healing that you're doing in and through our community, for the rehabilitation of our souls, of our hearts, of our minds, of our bodies, God, we commit this process to you. Help us to be a community that fights for each other's healing, fights for each other's rehabilitation, and that graciously and courageously brings each other before your throne of grace. And we do that now this morning through prayer and petition and trust that you will answer these prayers in your very best way. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able. I'm going to send you off with a benediction. As you go, family and friends of Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church, may Jesus receive us as a church despite our impaired, dysfunctional state. May he touch places of wounding and injury, whether it's body, mind, or spirit, and may he give us grace to bear with one another, care for one another, and struggle together toward unity and peace and joy and love, community and care. And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all as you move into this new week. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday.